Hey, we're in this series, okay? So if you haven't been here, let me catch you up to speed. The series is simply this, Jesus in between. You're saying, why in the world do you name it that? Very simply, because people are infatuated with and familiar with holiday Jesus. That's what we're saying, right? That a lot of people are infatuated with and very familiar with Christmas Jesus. Everybody knows about Christmas Jesus, right? Baby Jesus, Bethlehem, Mary Joseph, all that. We love Christmas Jesus, and we are very familiar with Uh, Easter Jesus, right? We know about Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. We love holiday Jesus. The problem is this, is that sometimes we can get stuck. We know that Jesus came as a baby and he grew up, became this man on the cross. And yet a lot of people don't know a lot about Jesus in between. And so what we're doing is saying, hey, there's a whole lot about Jesus in between that we want to take a look at, right? Because here's what I can tell you. There are people who are rejecting Jesus today, and they're rejecting a Jesus somebody told them about, and it's not even a Jesus you find in the Bible. And so we're saying, hey, we might as well figure out who Jesus really was, what he really taught. Who is this Jesus in between? You know what's even scarier? There are people who are following Jesus, followers of Jesus, and they're following a Jesus that somebody else told them that isn't even the Jesus that shows up in the Bible, right? And so they have this idea of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus, and yet it has nothing to do with the Jesus in the Bible. So hey, why don't we take a look at the Jesus in the Bible? Why don't we take a look at Jesus in between? And so we started this way. We said this, and it'll catch us up to where we're going today. We said that Jesus is this unusual paradox, right? That he is fully God, fully man. I'm gonna say that again because if you weren't here, you ought to write that down somewhere. It's an important teaching of Jesus found in the Bible that he is completely God, completely man. That is such an important truth. And that he is completely full of grace, completely full of truth. And here is the deal. Jesus, at the end of that week, we said this, and I wanna say it almost every week. Jesus never gives us the option of being neutral about him. But like, he doesn't give us that option. It's like, you know, I think he was a good man, a good teacher. I'm just not sure about that whole son of God thing. Jesus never gives us that option. It's interesting, right? He says, either you're gonna fully receive me or fully reject me, but there's no option to go between. There's no option to be neutral. Which led us to last week, we said, well, this fully God, fully man, Jesus is somebody who was tested in every way like us. And we talked about that last week. And and Joel kind of led us through that conversation. And Jesus stared Satan in the eye and he passed the test. And because he passed the test, it means two things. Jesus is the only one with the authority to die in the place of all of us who didn't, right? The fact that he passed the test, that's what that means. But it also means this, is that when we go through times of testing, we have a God who empathizes with us. It's fascinating, right? This morning, here's what I wanna do. For a few brief moments, I wanna drop in on an event in Jesus's life. In fact, the the event that I want to drop in on is one that's near and dear to me because what I would like to do is drop in on Jesus preaching a sermon. Can we do that, right? So this is a little selfish because I kind of get into this stuff, right? So I want to drop into Jesus preaching a sermon. The problem is this, in Mark chapter two, are you with me? You guys are off today, are you with me? All right, in Mark two, he's preaching a sermon and every preacher's nightmare happens. Because what happens in Mark chapter two is he's preaching this sermon. My guess is, because he was a perfect preacher, right? He's preaching his heart out and his sermon gets shipwrecked. And his sermon gets so shipwrecked, you ready? That nothing of his sermon is recorded in Mark two. My guess is it got so shipwrecked that everybody forgot the sermon and they just remember the event that shipwrecked it. You tracking with me? You see, I can tell you from where I'm standing, that, that happens. I've been doing this almost 25 years, and things can shipwreck a sermon, right? 
Like you prepare, I, I don't know if you know, you prepare and you're ready, you're, you're loaded for bear, man. You're ready to share this sermon. And all it takes is one thing here, one thing there to shipwreck a sermon. I don't know if you've ever been when a sermon gets shipwrecked. I mean, there are things that happen and they're just common, right? Like he got the, 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 the beautiful little baby sitting in the front row that cries the entire service, right? You ever been like, like ship, like here's the deal. When, I wish you had my vantage point because everybody goes, like this, like nobody's here, right? What's worse than a crying baby? You ready? You know one thing that's worse than a crying baby? A really, really cute baby in the front row. Because five rows back, nobody's listening to you, man. They're like, oh, they're making faces talking to the baby, right? I can't even out-preach a cute baby. That's the way I feel about it. Shipwreck a sermon. Uh, it could be Joe had 64 ounces of Mountain Dew before he came and he's up and down to the bathroom. It could be the guy behind you coughing. It could be technical issues. A few weeks ago, Sunday night service, 5.30, about 5.15, sirens go off. Tornado warning. Yeah, shipwreck a sermon, right? We, sh- we shove everybody downstairs in the basement. We just went ahead and preached to them. We say, hey, man, if the tornado comes and the top isn't there when we get it done, praise God, we're just going to keep going, right? You can shipwreck a sermon, but here's the deal. There are some things that shipwreck a sermon that all of a sudden, they shipwreck it in some, such a way that nobody remembers the sermon, but they remember the event that happened to me. Some of you were here five or six years ago. I shared this with you when I was in Indiana. I used to pastor a church in Indiana. When I was in Indiana, I remember it was a Christmas Eve service, and it was the very first Christmas Eve service that I had ever been to or done. So I grew up never going to Christmas Eve services. I don't know why we didn't. I, don't, I have no idea. But the church I was at, I was pastoring, we're going to do Christmas Eve service. I'm really, really excited about Christmas Eve service. And so as we're preparing for this, I'm like, I want it to be special. I have no idea who's going to show up but we planned it. We had it planned out to the minute. I had the sermon, like, this is why I'm going to share this. I can't wait to share it. I hope people come to hear it. And I remember the night, Christmas Eve night. It was like a magical night because people came out of the woodwork. There were so many people there. I had no idea who they were. I mean, there were hundreds of people there. We're setting, we're setting chairs up in the aisles. Like we're putting people everywhere. And I'm like, wow, who knew? And so we had this thing planned out. The team was ready. The music was incredible. The lights, everything was just great. And it came time for me to share the sermon, which I had been preparing for. It was very something very near and dear to my heart. It was the Christmas story. I was going to share the gospel. I wanted people to hear it. There was people there who didn't normally come. And I was very excited. I didn't want anything to blow it. We had to have everything just right. The lights went down. They had this spotlight. I began to share the sermon. And then I saw right about there a little movement. And I'm like, I wonder what that is. And then that movement got a little more clear. And I'm like, oh no, that's not really going to happen, is it? Yeah, you don't think this, but we talk to ourselves up here, right? Okay. So I'm preaching and I'm talking to myself. He isn't. He is. A little boy was right about there. I'd never seen him before in my life. And his mom was sitting right there. I'd never seen her before in my life. That little boy got away from his mom in the dark. I thought to myself, no problem. He's going to play in the owl. Oh no. Little boy went to the light. He said, I'm just going to go to the light. I thought, well, certainly he's going to stop right at the edge of that light. He got to the edge of the steps right there. And I thought, there is no way, there is no way in the world that little boy is going to climb these steps. Oh, was I wrong. (laughs) That little boy began to climb those steps just like he knew me. I looked at that little boy and I thought, man, I I don't know how old he was, maybe two, maybe two and a half, three, something like that. I thought, certainly he's going to get frightened. He has no idea who I am. I have no idea who he is. He's going to stop, run back to mom. He didn't. He walked right up to me and he stood right here. And I'm like, now I got a situation, right? Because I'm up here sharing my heart, right? Nobody listening. They're all just like, what's he going to do, right? 
I remember, I remember like it was yesterday. I'm like, well, we got to do so. I can't pretend he's not there because everybody's looking at him. I remember I reached down and I picked that little boy up and I thought, now he's going to scream. Didn't scream once. Little boy, he just, just sat there in my arms and he looked at me and I thought, well, we're going to change the sermon. And I preached the rest of the sermon telling him the story of Christmas. I kind of forgot these people were out here and we just talked. He's kind of looking at me like this, you know. I made a friend. I remember I got to the end of telling him the story, prayed, dismissed everybody, and then I returned, to, returned him to his mother. I remember asking his mom, say, hey, I'm Dan. She said, I'm embarrassed, is what she said. <laughs> and she said, you have no idea. I said, no idea what? She said, you have no idea what this Christmas is like. I said, tell me about it. She said, my husband, his father, is in jail this Christmas. And she said, we came here because I knew he needed a little joy this Christmas. She said, I didn't mean for him to steal the show. You see, I will never forget that moment. I can't remember all the details of what I preached, but I remember the interaction I had with that kid. I remember like it was yesterday. When you get to Mark chapter two, something like that happens only even more incredibly so. Because when you get to Mark 2, you need to know this. Jesus is really, really popular by this time. Get to the end of Mark 1, he's healing people. He's a great teacher. People are excited about Jesus. Yay, Jesus. Everybody's on board for Jesus. Jesus has a big fan club at the end of Mark 1, right? And when you get to Mark 2, all of a sudden, a very fascinating story begins to unfold. Follow with me. Verse 1, chapter 2, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that Jesus had come. Now, here's what you need to know. He's coming home, right? Hometown preacher boy, miracle worker. He's coming home. Everybody's like, hey, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And so what they do is let's close up the business. Let's shut down the shop. Let's gather the family. Everybody, let's go to where Jesus has gone. And some people think he was going to Peter's house. Some come say, I don't, you know, I wouldn't take a bull in the head for that. But some people think that's where he was going. But, but whatever the case might be, they're saying, hey, Jesus is coming. Let's head there. And so verse two, they gathered in such large numbers, there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Here's what's going on. So many people hear Jesus coming. They just jam into Peter's house, man. Can you imagine? It's like Easter on steroids, right? Standing room only. They're peeking in the windows. I mean, people are everywhere. If Peter's the owner of the house, he's like, oh man, we got to make some more lemonade. I mean, the safety team's like, what are we going to do with all these people, right? There's people everywhere, and Jesus is preaching. So get the scene. Go there with me. This wouldn't have been that uncommon. Jesus preaching in this house, people everywhere, listening. He's an incredible miracle worker. He's an unbelievable teacher. We want to hear what he has to say, and then, and then, verse three, everything changed because some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. All of a sudden, I don't know their names, I don't know how this all began, but there were four men in that town and they were as excited that Jesus was coming as everybody else. And yet what's interesting about them is this, remember this for later, that they were excited to see Jesus, but they knew they had a friend who could not get to see Jesus. He couldn't get there. Because he's paralyzed. And so in their excitement, they said, we can't leave him out. We got to get him to Jesus. And so they took the time to go get their friend. I don't know how they knew each other. I don't know if they were there the day it happened. I don't know. But imagine he's paralyzed. Imagine the social stigma in their culture that went along with that. 
Imagine the financial ramifications that went along with that. He couldn't make money unless he's begging. Imagine even in their culture, the religious stigma that went with that. There were some people who said, you must be paralyzed because you're a bad person. But yet he was their friend. And they just knew we got to get him to Jesus. Nothing's going to stop us from getting him to Jesus, verse 4. They go grab him, they got him, they're carrying him to Jesus, and they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd. They got there late. Nobody can blame them, right? I mean, they had to take a detour. They're carrying a stretcher. Jesus didn't have four services. They're standing outside, and they're like, I'm not sure how we're going to get in there. We can't even squeeze in there, and we got our buddy. How are we going to do this? I like to imagine reading the Bible in color, not black and white. I like to do that, right? Like, I like to imagine what their conversation was like, these four guys. Like, now what are we going to do? We don't have a good seat, and he doesn't have a good seat. What are we going to do? They begin talking, and one of them says, hey, I got an idea. What's your idea? Let's do it. Let's go up on the roof. Go up on the roof? Let's go up on the roof. I'll show you what I mean. And if you keep reading, look what it says. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, look at this. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it. Everybody look here. I can tell you're not reading it with me. Can you guys just say this out loud, sermon killer? Everybody say it out loud, sermon killer. Like that's a sermon killer. Can you picture yourself there? Jesus is preaching his heart out, man. He's got something to say. He's preaching, he's going, he's just giving it. And all of a sudden, a little bit of debris starts falling. Jesus is a good preacher, right? Because good preacher, you know what you do? You pretend like it's not happening. You just keep preaching. You preach right through it, but you can look out and you can see everybody else is like, <laughs> right? Y'all do it. I know they did it, right? It's like, what's up, right? Jesus is preaching until eventually there's a, there's a pinhole, a light starts coming through. I feel like this is getting awkward. And Peter's like, man, we got a problem. I hope the insurance is paid up. Safety team is calling each other. Like, what's going on? And all of a sudden, that, that pinhole and people are starting to talk. And Jesus is preaching until all of a sudden, that pinhole becomes a skylight. And all of a sudden, there's a giant hole in the roof of where Jesus is preaching. There's debris everywhere. People have moved out of the way to get out of the way of the, the roof that seems to be collapsing. By this time, Jesus, this preacher, knows he can't ignore it, Right? And he looks up, there's a skylight in the roof. And when he looks up about that time, four faces peek in. Can you imagine it? You can't make this up. Harry, Henry, Harvey, and I don't know who the third guy is, right? And they're looking in like, yep, there he is. They're not done. That's what's interesting about these guys. Did you keep reading with me? Look what it says. It says, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus. Look at this. By digging through it, and then they're not done. They, they don't just hold it on. Hey, Jesus, we're up here, just so you know that, right? They lowered the mat the man was lying on. Go there with me. I'm not sure how, they duct taped him on. I'm not sure how they did this, all right? But can you picture this? Can you picture this? There's a huge hole. Sermon is like totally blown at this point, right? And all of a sudden, they're like, Learning, like, can you imagine the paralyzed guy? No, guys, no, y'all are crazy. Don't do this. And little by little, he's like, until eventually everybody's watching. Here's preacher Jesus, and this paralyzed guy is eyeball to eyeball with him. It's surreal. And all of a sudden, you know something. 
Sermon's done. Can we get an amen on that? Sermon's done. Or, or, or maybe it's just about ready to begin. See, because what's interesting is not a single word of his sermons recorded, but what is recorded is the interaction with this guy. And so now the paralyzed guy is right in front of Jesus. Verse five, this is so cool. Can't make this up. Jesus saw their faith. I bet he did. It was radical faith. It was, it was an incredible faith. It was a pursuing faith. And he says to the paralyzed man, read this, read it, and, and look at it like it really is. This paralyzed guy, this guy who cannot walk, this guy cannot walk, He cannot make money. He has this social stigma. Jesus looks at this paralyzed guy. These friends went to all this trouble to get him to Jesus. They lower him down. They totally vandalize the house. They blow the sermon. Now the guy's in front of Jesus. We finally got him where he needs to be. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. Come again? (laughs) Like, like if, if, if I'm Harry, Henry, Harvey, and whoever up there, I'm like, ah, I think Jesus might have missed this moment, you know? Like, like I'm, not, I'm not sure, Jesus, if you see what's going on here, like, we kind of lowered him down there for a reason, because he couldn't walk. I mean, it'd be, be kind of like, like, this happened to me this last week. Uh, this last week, I got filled with poison ivy. How many get poison ivy? Anybody in the room? Yeah, let's make a club. I hate it, right? Uh, I got into it bad. I was one big boil. That's what I was, right? And, and so I finally, like, I did everything you could try to do at home. And I'm like, finally called the doc, and I said, I need some help. And so I went into the doctor and, you know, went into the room, and she came in, and, and it was so obvious. I mean, it was everywhere. I've never had it as bad as I had it this last week. Everywhere. And she looked at me, and she said, oh, man, that's bad. I said, yeah, that's bad. She said, you got poison ivy. I'm like, thank you. Imagine. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I didn't know. Uh, Imagine if the next thing she said to me, she said, you got poison ivy, Dan, your sins are forgiven. I'd have been like, yeah, well, thank you. (laughs) But it itches. (laughs) I mean, like if we could do something about this. Do you see what's going on here? Like like this guy can't walk. And he's literally eyeball to eyeball with Jesus. He he can't walk. and, And his friends went to all the work to lower him, get him in front of Jesus. So that somehow Jesus could help this friend of theirs, so that somehow Jesus could save the day, so that somehow Jesus could change the circumstance. And Jesus looks at this guy who can't walk, and he says, your sins are forgiven. I mean, I gotta imagine if I'm the guy, I'm like, that's awesome. Can I get some legs? Like, Is there any chance we could, like, I'm all about that, but could we do this? Guys, my guess is this, is that the air went out of the room at that point in time. My guess is this, is that one of the primary emotions people might have felt at that time was sheer disappointment. We finally got this guy to Jesus, and Jesus didn't fix him. Jesus didn't fix him like we thought he might fix him. And and can we be honest, everybody look here a second. That is exactly what's going on in Mark 2 is exactly why in this room right now, Jesus doesn't make sense to some of us. What's happening here is exactly why some of us in this room are disappointed with Jesus. I don't know all of your stories, but your story might be similar. Like you might have that person in your your life who just badgered you. Maybe today they, they drug you to church. They just drag you to church every week. I don't know. 
Maybe you have that person in your life, they keep, they keep talking and, and pushing Jesus on you because they know that you're, you're paralyzed in your life, that life has you paralyzed. They know somehow that, that, that things in your life have happened, your marriage is a wreck and now you're relationally paralyzed. You lost your job and now you're vocationally paralyzed. Your finances are all over the place and now you're fiscally paralyzed. Your health is eroding and, and, and life is just paralyzing to you. And so, so this well-meaning person like, Jesus, 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 and they keep dragging you to Jesus and you gotta get to Jesus and we want you to meet Jesus and we want you to know Jesus. And what happens is every time you come to church or you hear about Jesus, somehow they end up talking about sin. And there's a part of you that's like, yeah, cool, I need a job. Cool, I wish I had a girlfriend. Cool, my health, mm, not going well. And if we're honest, let's just be honest, we can feel like this. And when, when, when we begin to unwrap the story, all of a sudden we realize that it begins to tell us something about Jesus that is so important for us to know this morning. Even if it doesn't make you feel fuzzy inside, what you need to know about the Jesus in between is this, is that Jesus will always address my most pressing need. Listen, and my most pressing need is not always the need I feel the most. You see, Jesus, the Jesus in between will always address the need that is most pressing And if we're honest, we come into this world with this pre-programmed priority list. We want to somehow have a comfortable life. We want to have enough money that we can do what we want. We want to have perfect health. We want to have seamless relationships. And yet what happens is, and you don't need to say amen about this, it's just true, life has a way of shipwrecking our pre-programmed priority list. And you know it. And all of a sudden, stuff happens and we find ourselves paralyzed in life. And in this paralysis of life, we're like, I need Jesus to fix this stuff. And Jesus, instead in this story, says, no, what I need to do is address your most pressing need. And your most pressing need, now this is gonna, stay with me, your most pressing need is not whatever it is that you're like, oh, I feel paralyzed. Your most pressing need is way deeper, way bigger, way more profound. It is not even your suffering, it's your sin. Until I begin to realize that I'll never be amazed at Jesus. I'll never be amazed at Jesus until I realize that he will address my most pressing need. You see, here's what I think. We've lost our understanding of sin in our culture. Can I tell you about sin? Let's talk about sin. Can we talk about sin for a second? Because sin isn't that sexy to talk about in our culture, and yet sin is so necessary, and it's all over God's word. And when I'm talking about sin, I'm not simply talking about lying, lust, and, and laziness. That's not what I'm talking about. Like, like we like to talk about, oh, I have the sin of. What I'm talking about is that the Bible is clear, and Pastor Aiden led us in this a few weeks ago, that inside of us, listen close, inside of all of us, the Bible says, are the seeds of sin. The very same seeds of sin reside in all of us. We're sinners. You see? 
And those seeds of sin, the very same seeds of sin, in some people they grow and produce a Pharisee, and in others a prostitute. The very same seeds of sin grow in some people and produce religious legalism, in others secular humanism. It's the same seeds of sin. You see, what Jesus is saying is simply this, is that my most predominant need, my most pressing need, is not even the need that I feel right now. It is a need that's even deeper. And what exposes my sin is whatever it is that I come and I'm frustrated because he won't come through for me on. Because the biggest sin in my life is trying to build my life apart from God in some way, whether it's to build it on religion or immorality. You see, and what Jesus is saying is this, is that the Jesus in between will always address my most pressing need. Listen, you don't have to agree with what I'm saying right now, okay, to come here. I say that quite often, but hear me. Because we're gonna go somewhere I think that's tough. Your most pressing need this morning is what are you gonna do with your sin? What do you do with your sin? And you know that. Down deep, you know that. Because it's your sin, you know this in the quietness, you know this, it's your sin that paralyzes you and you live in a world that is paralyzed by the effects of sin. You know that. And Jesus says, I will address that. And it leaves these four friends, I think, a little baffled. It leaves the man maybe a little thrown off. But look back at Mark 2. There are some religious leaders in the group and they are miffed. Look at this. This is so fascinating to me. Verse 6, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there and they were thinking to themselves, key, why does this fellow, that's Jesus, talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God? They're thinking to themselves, why in the world is Jesus saying your sins are forgiven? That's blasphemy. That is so wrong. He can't do that. Why in the world are they mad? Two reasons, I think. One is, I think they're upset because it's too easy. Lean in. Going to come in later. I think these teachers of law think, you can't just say that. That's too easy. You got to have this guy come meet with us. He's got to fill out the paperwork. He's got to go get a lamb, a pigeon. He's got to jump through some hoops. There's stuff he's got to do. You can't just say that. But the second reason I think they're mad is this, is not only do they think it's just too easy, he says, your sins are forgiven. They look at him and said, you can't say that because only God can forgive sins. Because sin is first and foremost an affront against God. And Jesus, you cannot say your sins are forgiven unless you're insinuating that you are God. I love what Jesus does next. Verse eight. The Bible is so colorful, man. It's worth reading. Verse eight. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And so he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Let's make a note to self. If Jesus is in the room and you don't want others to know what you're thinking, try not to think anything because Jesus knows. And he looks at him and says, why are y'all thinking that? I, I don't know. I, I'm, that was him. That wasn't me. I'm not sure where you picked that up. Jesus calls him out. Love that, right? He does this other times in the gospel. 
And then he says this, verse nine. This is interesting. He asked a really good question. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? Everybody look here a second. It's a good question. Some scholars have debated this question, right? Maybe too much. Because the truth is both are easy to say. Can we just say that? Can we just agree on that? I'll prove it. I'll prove it. I can tell you don't believe me. Prove it. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. Everybody try it with me out loud. You're relatively easy, right? It's easy to say, get up and walk. Let's try it. Ready? Get piece of cake, right? I don't think that's what Jesus was saying, right? I think what Jesus was saying is that actually it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. Like, how do you know? How do you know? Like, like I could have some, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. You having fun yet? Your sins are forgiven. Anybody glad? Your sins are forgiven. You're celebrating too quick. Your sins are forgiven, right? I mean, I'm having a great time, right? Y'all are like, woo, man, all kinds of people today, right? Like, like that's a piece of cake to say. But, but, but imagine if I looked around the room and found some sort of physical challenge and tried to heal that physical challenge. Like, like I'm looking around the room, I want to find one just real time. Like, it looks like we have some people in the room that have the physical challenge of hair paralysis. You know what that is? <laughs> Feel it, brother. <laughs> Imagine I came up to you and said, hair grow. <laughs> and I got a couple hundred of you watching. It's like, nothing. <laughs> See, I think that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, yeah, piece of cake. How do you know? And that's what made him say what he said next. I love this. But he said, I want you to know the son of man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Can you imagine that guy came in a hole on the roof and he walked out the front door. What a way to close a sermon. It says he got up, took his mat, and walked out. Jesus healed this guy, not because that was his primary need, but because he wanted them, everybody in the room, to know something, that I have the authority. I am who I say I am. Some of the people in the room thought that man's biggest need was that he couldn't walk. Jesus pointed out, no, his biggest need is his sin. Others in the room, they were miffed that Jesus had the audacity to say, your sins are forgiven. They said, that is way too easy. And yet Jesus said, I wanna show you something. I have the authority to solve your biggest need. In fact, I want you to write it down this way. Jesus has the authority to solve my most pressing need and my most pressing need is my sin. Jesus has the authority to solve my most pressing need. The one who can forgive is the one who addresses the consequences of my most pressing need. This man would eventually get sick and die. His healing was temporary of his legs. And yet what Jesus was addressing was his sin. Stay with me. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. How in the world did Jesus do that? Here's how he did it. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, Jesus preached a sermon. The sermon never got recorded. Interaction with a man did because the interaction with the man became the sermon because Jesus knew something, everybody look here, that he knew that you guys would fall in one of two camps, more than likely. 
There are some of you that are here, just like in Mark 2, and you're disappointed with Jesus. He doesn't make sense because something has got you paralyzed in life, and you're like, people keep dragging me to Jesus. People keep talking to me about Jesus. People keep dragging me to church, and I need Jesus to come through for me, and he doesn't address the need. I need this. I need my health. I need wealth. I need a girlfriend. I need whatever it might be, and Jesus, why won't you give it to me? He's like, you know something? I want you to know something that I want to address your most pressing need and the fact, listen close, this is a little hard to get your head around, but I want to say it. The fact that you come and keep demanding that I meet this felt need that you have that you think is most pressing is indicative of the fact that you haven't gone deep enough in dealing with your most pressing need. Because whatever it is that's got you hung up here has become whatever it is that you want to build your life upon. And some of you are struggling with that, and I know. And Jesus said, I love you too much not to deal with your most pressing need. There are others of you, you can relate with the religious leaders. You know why? Because this story miffs you. Because I've talked to some of you, and you came out of traditions. You're like, it can't be that easy. People can't get for, oh, it just drives me crazy. They gotta be able to jump through some hoops and here's what you need to hear. Jesus is not amazing to you because you're missing the point that Jesus jumped through all the hoops for us. That's the gospel. That Jesus, the Jesus in between is God doing all the work on my behalf. You see, it leads me to how the story ends and then I gotta make some application and then we're done. But look at the very next verse. Can you guys read the yellow out loud with me? Read the yellow out loud, nice and loud, like a choir. Here we go, ready? This And they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Look here a second. This whole story I tell you this whole story to get to one question that I want you to write down and then I want, to, I want you to think about it. I'm gonna make you think about it. I don't think it's gonna be easy to think about it. I tell you this whole story to, make you, to ask, ask yourself one question. And the question is this, you ready? Here's the question. Am I amazed by Jesus? You see, They're absolutely amazed by Jesus, and the truth is, I gotta ask myself, am I amazed by Jesus? You're saying, Dan, well, how in the world do I know if I'm amazed by Jesus? There's three questions underneath this question I want you to ask yourself this morning, three. I don't think they're all gonna be easy. Did I say that? The first is this, I gotta ask myself, ready, ready? Am I a fan or am I a follower? Can I tell you something about Jesus? That at this point in the story, He's very popular and everybody wants to get around and crowd in. But if you keep reading the story of Jesus, Jesus didn't come to start a fan club. He came to call people to follow him. You see, people got tired of Jesus because they're like, hey, where's the tricks? Hey, where's the, the bread? Hey, where's the, they were fans of Jesus. And Jesus said, follow me, I'm taking this thing clear to a cross. And if you keep reading the story of Jesus, little by little, people are like, kind of liked it when we had lots of cool stuff going on, magic shows, and we were getting the stuff we... I know, I know. You said, man, Dan, we're landing hard. Yeah, 
got to sometimes. Because the truth of the matter is, I gotta ask myself, have I said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said yes to Jesus? As the only one who can save you from your sins? If not, that's where it begins. But can I, can I say this, church, listen to me, church. Some of you have been in church a long time, need to listen to me. It's not just about saying yes to Jesus as your savior. Can I ask you this? Do you spend every day, do you spend every day saying yes to him as your Lord? That's what it means to follow Jesus. Well, you've been praying and he's not coming through and he's like, following me you trust me see Jesus didn't come to gather a fan club Jesus isn't even that concerned if we're like wear the t-shirt got the bumper sticker love going to church like he's looking for people to follow him and my question to you is this and I want to say this with tenderness yet conviction his invitation to you is to follow him not spectate not cheer him not be like Follow me. See, when I become amazed at Jesus, I'm like, I'll follow you. I know it might get dicey. I'm following. I'm following. You know why? Not because these things out here are what I get all excited about, but it's because I'm excited about following you. I'll go anywhere with you. It leads me to a second question when I think about what it means to be amazed by Jesus. Can we just say it this way, that these four friends are amazing? Because they went to any length to get their friend to Jesus. Can we just say that? Like, like they went to the length of even vandalizing a house and shipwrecking a sermon given by Jesus. And it begged a question for me. And the question that it begged am I willing to go any length to get others to Jesus? Let it percolate a minute, guys. Just let it. Because it, this stirred me up this week. This leaned into me this week. Because I began to think about the people in my life who don't know Jesus. And isn't it so easy to lose amazement at Jesus that getting people in front of Jesus doesn't even become our passion or our priority? We become so concerned about other things that we started to build our life on that we lose amazement of Jesus. These guys were somehow so enthralled with getting their friend to Jesus, they did anything. The apostle Paul said this, he said, I am so, I am so, I can already tell some of you are tuning me out. I'm saying, tune me back in just for a second. I know you expect the preacher to talk about this, but stay with me, just stay with me. Let it make you feel a little uncomfortable, it did me. The apostle Paul said, I am so passionate about getting people to Jesus that some people even think I'm crazy. I don't know about you. Maybe your life's different than me. I don't have very many people come up to me and say, you're crazy about how much you want people to come to Jesus. I was reading a book this last week that challenged me. It said, Jesus didn't give a mission to his church. Now listen, this sounds weird. Jesus did not give a mission to his church. Listen, but he formed the church for his mission. It's different. Listen to this. Without mission, a church is not a church. It is just a bunch of disobedient Christians hanging out.
that destroyed me. I'm like, wow. Like, like am I amazed? At, am I so amazed by Jesus that, that, that I'll, I'll do anything to show people in my life Jesus, to tell the people in my life about what Jesus has done for me? Am I so amazed by him? Or I lost that amazement. It led me to a third question. Because the thing that's amazing about Jesus, and then we're going to end here, and we're gonna, it's going to be kind of like, <laughs> the thing that's amazing about Jesus, everybody look here a second, because I think what I'm going to say is going to be hard for some of you. I know it will be. It should be. You know what's so amazing about Jesus? What's amazing about Jesus is that when he said, son, your sins are forgiven, when Jesus looks me square in the eye, paralyzed in my sin, and he said, I did the work for you, Dan, your sins are forgiven, like that's amazing that the God of the universe would forgive me, that he would forgive you. Can I get an amen on that? That's, that's amazing. But yes, somewhere I lose the amazement of that. And you know how I know I lose the amazement of that? Listen close. I know I've lost the amazement of how much God loves me and forgives me when I refuse to forgive. You see, I gotta ask myself the question, am I willing to extend to others the forgiveness I've experienced from Jesus? Because here's what happens when I'm amazed by Jesus. I'm amazed and overwhelmed. I'm amazed and overwhelmed that he has forgiven me, that he has forgiven me. And I am so overwhelmed by his forgiveness for me that it overflows from me. When I stop being amazed at his forgiveness of me, it stops overflowing from me. I'll just go here, because I love you guys. I have tons of conversations. I can barely keep track of my schedule. There's a lady right down here, she knows more about my life than I do, my secretary. My schedule's crazy, because I'm meeting with people and leading the staff and Recently, I have had tons of conversations. Tons of conversations with people in all kinds of relationships. And you know what I'm finding is that we live in a culture that is paralyzed by bitterness and resentment. Dying a slow death of bitterness and resentment. It's in your friendships. Guys, I'm dealing with five or six marriages right now and it's killing marriages, bitterness and resentment. And I'll have people come to me and I'll save you the time. I'll save you the meeting. They'll say, oh, he hurt me. She hurt me. They, whatever. It's like, Dan, what should I do? And I can send you to 15 counselors that would tell you, get out of there. You don't deserve that. And I realize there's some extenuating certain bad situations. That friendship is terrible. I, you, I can send you to 15 counselors to tell you what you want to hear. But I'm going to tell you what you'll hear from me. If you're a follower of Christ, the, the only solution I know when they hurt you, my wife's hurt me, I've hurt my wife, the only solution I know is to be amazed by Jesus. And when I'm amazed by Jesus, I'm amazed that he would dare, that he would dare, that he would dare forgive me. I can never outforgive him. I never will. And it's the only power. The minute I stop being amazed is the minute I stop 
extending. See how that works? I know that's tough. I also know that it's not the easy thing to hear. And yet I realized that when he looked at that man and said, your sins are forgiven, there is nothing more amazing Jesus could have said. And when the amazement of those words begin to lean into my life, they overwhelm me to the point they overflow from me. So God, amaze us with Jesus. The Jesus in between. You might be sitting here and don't know Jesus, never said yes to Jesus. Why not this morning? Why not right there in your seat? You don't have to stand up, raise your hand, no emotional plea. Right there, say yes, Jesus. I believe you are who you said you are. And I believe that when you died, you died for me, for my sin. And I want to receive the gift of your forgiveness. And if you prayed that, I'd love to hear from you. Some of you are sitting here and you've said yes to Jesus. And yet if the truth is, somehow you've wafted from being a follower of Jesus into being in the fan club of Jesus. And this morning, right there in your seat, do the hard work. Go there with me. Say, Jesus, I'm, I, I've been a fan for far too long. And I want to say yes to you every day, every moment of my life. I want to say yes Things aren't going quite the way I would have wanted them to, but I'm amazed by you more than I am the plan that I had, more than the desires that I came with. I'm amazed because I believe you will always, always lead me with truth and grace. And I wanna say yes. Some of you are here and, and you've said yes to Jesus and you would say, I'm a follower of Christ. But can I ask you this? Who are the two or three people who are the two or three people right now that are paralyzed by life, paralyzed by, by, by the situations and circumstances? Who are the two or three people that you know desperately need Jesus? What hole will you dig to get him in front of Jesus? And then can I talk tenderly as we heads bowed, eyes closed? Who in your life right now needs to somehow experience what you've received from Jesus, an amazing forgiveness, an amazing forgiveness that you did not deserve. God, I pray that you'd give us the courage to walk that path so that we might walk a path of amazement, amazement at who you are. Forgive us for becoming apathetic. Thanks for loving us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.